Well, good morning, everyone. We are in part two of a series that we're calling The Outsider's Guide to Jesus, where we're actually walking through the book of Luke. And Luke was an outsider who actually wrote to outsiders. And most of us, at some point in our life, can have felt like an outsider. Maybe you feel like that today. You've been invited here. You don't know anybody. I just want to let you know that when you walk through these doors, nobody's an outsider because nobody here including Jeff, knows every person that's here. There's some of you in this room over here on this side of the fifth wall that don't even know there's people over there. So, you know, if you don't know everybody, that's okay. You're not an outsider, but that's, that's what this gospel was addressed to, and that's what we're going to take a look at. So if you do feel like an outsider, or if you ever have in your life, you're in good company. Let's pause and talk to Jesus. Jesus, we are grateful that even when we feel like outsiders, You've made us an insider with you by your love, by the work on the cross, the fact that you died for us gives us life. And so we pause to celebrate that. Lord, I pray for those in here who are investigating you, that have maybe been invited or curious, that you would reveal yourself to them. You would take my broken and inadequate words combined with the power of your spirit and meet them where they're at. For those in here that walk with you and follow you, may they be blessed today by your words. We give this time to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, I'd like you to raise your hand if you ever had one of these. This is a three-wheeler. It's a tricycle. Let me see. If you rode a tricycle as a kid. Yeah, a tricycle, this is a, this is a safe. This is kind of like introduction to bike riding. You really can't get hurt on these things, and uh, uh, they don't require real skill. And most of the time, you can just, you don't even need the pedals. You can just move your feet, but it's a very, very safe uh, vehicle. Then you kind of move your way up to a bicycle that has training wheels. Raise your hand if you had training wheels. Yeah, training wheels, that you, I don't know why we don't start with five wheels and move down to four, but we start with three, and then you tend to move to four, and, and the training wheels prop you up. This bicycle actually gets you in the motion. It gets you moving, feeling like you're, you're really going to ride a, a two-wheeler someday, just not yet. Okay? It, it gives a, kind of an illusion of riding. It's still some wobbly, makes you a little bit uncomfortable, but you haven't got to the big boy bike yet or the big girl bike yet. So um, if you had a tricycle or training wheels and you just raised your hand, you were lucky. You were privileged. I never had that experience. And I don't know why, I should have asked my parents before they died, but I never had a tricycle or training wheels. They went straight to a bicycle, okay? And I don't, I don't know why, um, and I've asked you this before. Raise your hand if you had a Schwinn growing up. You had a Schwinn. Okay, keep your hands up. I just want to see. I want to see where the rich kids are, okay? Because <laughs> if you don't know, like this, this is a Schwinn. When I saw this, I thought, this is, this is cool. It's a girl's Schwinn, uh, but look, Bell rich kid. Hey, I'm a rich kid coming down the street. Okay, I didn't, I didn't have a Schwinn. I always wanted a Schwinn. I had Kmart's brand. Who knows what it was? The Huffy. Okay, the Huffy. Yeah, that, my parents were like that. I got no expensive, I got no expensive brands. My, all my friends wore Levi's. My parents shopped at Sears. I got the Husky pants. So Doug Fields riding down on his Huffy wearing Huskies. All H words for humiliation, okay? 
And for those of you that are younger, you don't even know this. There was an era before you that didn't have to wear bicycle helmets. They were not mandated like they are now. They actually came in the era of what's called the era of sissies. Uh, so I, I actually learned to ride a two-wheeler, having never ridden a tricycle or tra- training wheels, I had to ride a two-wheeler with, without a helmet. So that means when you fall, you have, you have potential for great brain damage. And uh, if I had been forced to wear a helmet, I'm sure it would have been a discount brand, like, you know, a hard hat at a hardware store or something like that. So riding my Huffy in my Huskies, I had to compensate. I had to become really good at bike riding so I wouldn't get beat up by the neighborhood kids. And so I did. I became good. I could, I could ride wheelies down the street with no hands. I could, I could uh, jump off things, jump over things. I grew up in the city of Orange down the street that used to have all orange groves. Some of you will remember this. You just got up, you got on your bike, and you just went out and found dirt, and you rode, and you jumped, and rode wheelies. You do all the stuff kids do today on their video games. Uh, so... <laughs> And I became really, really good at it. How many of you as a kid, you just enjoyed getting on your bike and going? Let me see. Yeah, my, my own kids, they, can, they make fun of me all the time because they tell bike. Oh, I used to ride my bike to that. You know, I grew up in Orange, but I went to Villa Park, so I used to ride my bike. Dad, not another bike story. You know, because they, they just, you know, they'd rather play inside. They, had, they grew up in a different era. I didn't have video games growing up. Well, Pong. Okay, Pong. We had Pong. That was the only video game when I was a kid. Our parents didn't even own it. Down the street, Clarky Johnstone, he had Pong. So we'd all like look at his, you know, oh, isn't that great? You know, that was my life. But I will never forget that moment, my dad teaching me how to ride a bike in the alley where he let go. And now I was riding on my own. That, that combination of, of thrill and fear was something that I just, I will never forget that moment. How many of you remember the day, the time when you first learned to ride on your own? Let me see your hands. Okay. Maybe it looks something like this. Watch. Try not to go on fire. 
I share all of that with you because I want to invite you this morning into a metaphor. As a matter of fact, I want you to consider deeply your relationship with Jesus. And I want to ask you to choose your own adventure. One of these three bicycles represents the adventure that you're on in your relationship with Jesus. And as you think about them, first let me, let me label them. Um, some of us in here, we have what I would call a, a tricycle or a, yeah, tricycle faith. And the key word there, if you want to write something down, is the word safe. Okay? This represents those of us who play it safe with our faith. I mean, we believe that, that God exists. We actually like the, the idea of a God who is, is stable and safe and comforting. It makes me feel good. God and America, they kind of go together and, and government shutdown. And, and, and uh, you know, there, but there's really no adventure. There's really no adventure with a, a safe faith. It's, it's routine. It doesn't require much risk or uh, fear. It doesn't really alter my life, how I live my life, but it's, it's just a safe faith. That may describe you. Some of us in here, we would be described by a training wheel faith. And the key word there that I want you to write down is the word illusion. This is, I, I'm actually given the illusion that I'm really riding, but I'm, I'm actually being propped up. Okay, it's not real, it's an illusion, it's pretend. Now, there's some, there's some shakiness and some instability at times, which makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable in my faith, but these, these training wheels that prop me up, they're really what I would call my values. The training wheels are my worldview. It's what I want to do. It's, it, it is what I believe. So this would be, if somebody was watching your life and you were a training wheel faith, they would follow you around if they could watch your life and your decisions, if they could somehow peer into your mind or into your heart, they would say, they would see a a big percentage of you and a little percentage of Jesus. It's not that you don't love Jesus. You can have a training wheel faith and love Jesus. You You just don't trust Him. You just don't trust Him enough to to genuinely follow his ways. And then the big person bike, the two-wheel bike, the key word there is the word trust. This is where I actually put my trust in God, that God is who he says he is, that he's God and that I'm not. That I trust that God knows what's best for my life because he communicated it clearly when he came to earth in the form of Jesus. Now, if, if that describes you, it doesn't mean that, that you're perfect or that you don't have doubts and very real fears. But at the core of who you are, you actually trust Jesus and you, you follow him with your life, even though it's wobbly, even though it's, it's scary and can be frightening and you might fall. I want you to choose which one represents you. And as you're, you're thinking about that, what I want you to do is grab your Bible and turn to Luke chapter 1, or you can see it in your notes or up on the screen, or you can on your phone, your iPad, whatever, wherever you're going to get to it. Luke chapter 1. And we're going to take a look at these first four verses as we really begin this series of going through the book of Luke. And um, as I read this to you, here's what I'd like you to do as you listen, is I would like for you to, to think, to, I'm going to ask you this question. 
Does this seem like a fairy tale, these four verses? Like, long, long time ago, in a galaxy far away. Do do they sound like fairy tale verses? Or do these verses sound like religious jargon, like religious speak? Oh, that's what religious people say. Or do these verses read like history? Luke chapter 1, verse 1. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those from the first, who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. Okay, who says it sounds like fairy tale? Who says it sounds like religious speak? Who says it sounds like history? Okay, yeah, those of you who played the game, history is, is correct, yeah. Because uh, Luke is a researcher, and he's writing from an outsider's perspective because Luke wasn't there during the time of Jesus. Luke wasn't a, a Jew, I mean, he talk about an outsider. He didn't grow up in a Jewish culture. He didn't have a working knowledge of, of the Old Testament and the prophesied Messiah. Okay, he, he was an outsider. Now, these, you know, these are typically some of the verses in the Bible that we skip over. Usually the first few verses of a book or a letter, you're kind of like they're addressing why it's written to who, and there's a bunch of names, and you just kind of, okay, let me get to the good stuff. And you just kind of blow, blow through that. I don't want us to blow through that. As a matter of fact, I want us to take a look at some of the key words that I think will help really set up this whole series. All right, so if you take a look at verse 1, it says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. Now, the word many, why, why highlight that? Because Luke is not the first historian to investigate Jesus. There have been several others that have gone before him. As a matter of fact, if you're here investigating Jesus, this is a perfect time to be here, to come through this series, okay? Because you're feeling maybe a little bit like an outsider. That's who Luke is writing to. But people with any degree of intelligence, they don't reject Jesus as a historical figure. Hey, no one with intelligence rejects him as a historical figure because there is too much evidence that Jesus existed, what is called extra-biblical sources or outside-the-Bible sources. A lot of historians, many other people wrote about, about Jesus. Now, people can reject his claim, and they do that all the time. They did back then, they do today. They reject the claim that Jesus was who he said he was, God in the flesh. But intelligent people don't reject his existence. And Luke uses the word fulfilled. This is an important word for Luke because while Jesus may appear new, Jesus is really old. Jesus is really old because he's old news because he is the fulfillment of everything that was in the Old Testament pointing all the way back to to Genesis. So Luke is saying that Jesus is actually the fulfillment of all that which which is old. And then he uses the words among us. Okay? that the people that he interviewed and investigated, they were among us. Okay, the, the book of Luke, scholars dated around 60 A.D. Jesus died, resurrected around 33 A.D. So we're only 27 to 30 years after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So that means there were people around, among us, 
who were privileged to his teaching, who saw his miracles, who were witnesses to the resurrection, that Luke is not writing this based on what is called oral tradition. Okay? He wasn't an eyewitness, but he talked to people who were. That's verse 2. Just as they were handed down to us by those from whom the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. That Luke wasn't an eyewitness, but he interviewed eyewitnesses. He's building a case for fact. He's basically saying, I've done my job. Verse 3, with this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Investigate everything. Hey, that's what a researcher does. They investigate everything, historian. He did it. He did his homework. An orderly account, friends, an orderly account is not the same as a chronological account. And there's a difference. I can remember when I was in graduate school, people go, you know, I have, I have problems with the inconsistency of the New Testament because in Matthew, the temptations are listed this way, and in Luke, they're listed this. You know, first century, uh, first century ancient historians, they didn't care. They collected the facts, and then they ordered them in a story format so that they, people would understand them better. And so like Luke does, he, he, he organizes everything, presents it in story form to Theophilus. So who is most excellent Theophilus? It's actually a title for a Roman official. Theo means God. Okay? Theophilus is a lover of God. Many scholars and theologians believe that Theophilus is the one responsible for paying Luke to travel the Mediterranean to do this, this research for him, but we don't know for sure. What we do know is that Theophilus was definitely an outsider, that he was a, a Roman citizen, and this Roman citizen wanted a better understanding of who Jesus was, and can Jesus be trusted and everything, that, I mean, everywhere Jesus went, he drew a crowd and people were amazed by Jesus. And this whole Jesus movement is spreading out all over the place. Is it true? Can it be trusted? Is Jesus worthy to follow? That's why Luke is setting this case, going, yes, yes, he is. Look at verse 4. And so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. See, He's not, this word certainty in the Greek is more than you would just know the right answers to the Bible trivia quiz. It's deeper than that. The word certainty means to not trip and to not stumble. That you would have a, a certainty, that you wouldn't trip, you, you would have a reassurance. It doesn't mean intellectual certainty, although that's part of it. It's, it's more of a bedrock, foundational certainty that you can kind of put your life on. Because Theophilus had a lot to lose. If you know anything about early church history, there was a lot of persecution of those who followed Jesus, especially around the time of of the 60s, especially in in Rome. As a Roman citizen, Theophilus, if he was to follow Jesus, there'd be big consequences for his life, for his family, for his business. And so Luke is saying, I've done my homework, you can be sure. As a matter of fact, I, I took this out of my journal as I've been studying. One of the things that I do, I encourage you to try it if you read the Bible a lot. Sometimes I'll read a chapter or a section, what's called a pericope. I'll read a section of Scripture over and over, and then I'll kind of put the Bible to the side, and then I'll just run it through my life. Okay, if I was to paraphrase it, or if I was to write it, how would I say it? So this is just right out of my journal. Here's how I would 
in Doug Field's language, how I would say verses 1 through 4. Luke is writing, I've done my homework. I've investigated. I've given you everything you need so that you can take your training wheels off and not play it safe with Jesus. Oh, Theophilus, this is going to cost you. But from what I've discovered, you can throw your shoulders back and you can ride with confidence. Confidence that the ways, the teachings, and the miracles of Jesus are true and worthy to follow at all costs. That's what he's saying in these first four verses. Flip your notes over. Okay, why does this matter? Why is certainty so important to Luke? Here you go, ready for the sermon in the sentence is this. Because action follows conviction. Action follows conviction. 1983, when I first met Kathy Guiso, who is now Kathy Fields, when I first met her, I fell immediately in lust, love, love. I, 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 was, I was taken, I was so taken back from her. I had been praying for a hot babe who loved Jesus, okay? And obviously, she'd been praying for the same thing. And, uh, and so, but I'm telling you, I, I, knew, I knew right away, I knew right away that I was going to marry this girl. I, I, just, I just knew it. Now, <laughs> took her about a year or two for her to figure that out. But for me, I'm, and so what happened, I was convinced of that. Everything in my life went to support that decision. Because conviction leads to action. And for many of us in here, we're just kind of slow to conviction. We're slow to conviction with, with, with Jesus. We, we want more certainty. An image that comes to my mind is when my, my kids were little, and um, we'd be near the pool, and one of them would, would finally get the guts to go off the diving board, and they couldn't swim, but say, Dad, Dad, catch me, catch me. Okay, so I would, I would jump in the pool, and I would get under the diving board, and they'd be on the diving board, and I'd be like, okay, baby, Daddy, Daddy's here, Daddy's here, Daddy, Daddy will catch you. I, you'd be totally safe, I'll grab you, it'll be fun, because, you know, they're at the edge of the diving board, and you can see the fear going on in their, their eyes, and, and, and they don't say anything, but you can see their mind moving, because it's not like they went, oh, okay, Daddy you know, jump. They, they, they stay and they think and they, they worry and they, they play out this scenario like, I see you there, Dad. And you're obviously very, very, very strong uh, that you could catch me. And, and uh, you know, you have huge, huge muscles. So I have no doubt that, that you could catch me. But you're treading water, Dad. And, 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 and you're not standing on anything solid. So that maybe I would sink. And, and, and now, the longer I stay up here, Dad, you, 
You don't look as confident treading water. And maybe when you were in high school, you shouldn't have made fun of water polo players because they wore a Speedo. Because if you were a water polo player, you could tread. And, and, and Dad, you remember that time you dropped Mom's grocery bag in the kitchen? And that grocery bag weighed less than me. You remember the pickle jar that just dropped and split and exploded? What if that would happen to me? You know, so all that stuff is going on in their mind. And, and you're down there going, what? go. Some of us, we do that about Jesus. Well, I, you know, I, I, I mean, I love Jesus. And it's interesting. I mean, I watch other people do Jesus. And I just, but we, li- we live over here in this safe, pretending world. And so the conviction doesn't, doesn't get there as fast. And obviously, there are, let's be honest, there are stages of conviction. So how do you become a person of conviction? I put in your notes a couple stages. First stage is where you say, I think I believe. This is what happens in your head. I think I believe. This is where we become vocal about stuff that we think we intellectually understand. We, we don't really know. I mean, it doesn't influence our life, but we think we understand. For example, I think the Dodgers are going to win the World Series. Okay? I, I, think, I think that. They're down 0-2, but I think, I think they're going to win. Now, do you want me to bet my life savings on it? not a chance okay but but i think it's up here i I think they're gonna win okay now i think i would like skydiving i mean i think that would be cool you know jumping out of a plane james bond i mean i think that that would be cool until until you put me in a plane and put put a parachute on me then i might i might change the way that i think i think seventh grade girls basketball is the sport that is going to be played in hell Okay, that, that's what I, I think, okay? I don't know that for sure, but I, I think if there is a sport, that will be it, okay? Have you seen seventh grade girls basketball? You know what I'm talking about. Halftime score is two to one, okay? You're like, oh, come on, get a night, okay? So that's, I think I believe it stays up here though, okay? Then stage two is, I say I believe. And I say I believe, it kind of moves to my heart. I begin to believe. I may even strongly believe it. But that strong belief can change as soon as a little pain or pressure or circumstance or my desires change. So my, my daughter's friend was over this summer. She just graduated high school. And she was, oh, Mr. Fields, I, you, know, you know, I've been thinking, I've been thinking. She kind of has this value. I've been thinking that, I, I, you know, I'm not going to date anybody who's not a Christian because I just, that's what I believe. I believe you shouldn't date anybody who's, who's not a Christian. So that's what I'm going to do. That's why I'm not, that's why I don't have a boyfriend. I'm just not going to date anybody who's not a Christian. Okay. Now, I saw this sweet girl a couple of days ago at the Spectrum holding a boy's hand. Okay. <laughs> And I found out that this boy's not a Christian, which, I, whatever. I mean, but, but she believed that strongly this summer. But I'm not going to marry him. We're just dating. It's amazing, you know, how a little infatuation can change what we believe. We do this all the time. We have beliefs, but then they change. You want a biblical example of that? Peter. Peter in Luke 22. We'll get to it in this series. Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. I will never, I will never betray you, Jesus. I would die before I betray you. Fast forward 30 verses, and all of a sudden, a little pressure, a little fear, a little situation changes, and what does Peter do? He denies Jesus. 
I say I believe. The third stage is where I know I believe. This all of a sudden becomes, I know I believe, I have that certainty, I have that conviction. And then, folks, it influences our lifestyle. This is where we begin in our faith. We take the training wheels off, which are our worldview, our desires, what we want, and we begin to pedal on our own. This is where I want you to move to. This is the goal for any of us that would teach God's way to God's people. This is where we move from, listen, Jesus' theory to Jesus' following. This is where we say, I don't just understand the theory of community. I'm actually following in the ways of Jesus and I'm getting engaged in other people's lives and I realize that I'm better because of other people. I've joined Rooted or whatever it might be. I'm, do, I'm taking the steps. It's not just the theory of community. I'm taking the steps to surround myself with community. That I, I don't just understand the theory of forgiveness and talk about it. I'm actually following Jesus and moving into the steps of forgiveness for those who have wounded me. I, I don't just understand the theory of generosity. I'm actually going to follow in the steps of Jesus and be generous with my life and my resources and my finances. See, this is the point where we stop playing it safe. This is the point where we stop pretending and we start Jesus following. I actually follow the person and the teachings of Jesus. So if I'm sitting where you're sitting, I'm thinking, this is where you're thinking, okay, well, how do I get to that point of conviction? I mean, how do I get to that point of conviction, that certainty that Luke writes about that actually changes my lifestyle? Because I would bet if we just sat knee to knee, eye to eye, shared a coffee or a meal or something like that, you would say, Doug, I don't want a tricycle faith. Okay? I don't want a training wheel faith. But how do I get there? And the only way I know how to teach this is, is for me to be a little revealing of what I, what my own spiritual journey. So let me, for just sake of illustration, open up my own, my own heart and my own journal to you to say that having walked with Jesus since I was a teenager, let me, let me kind of let you in a little bit on my, my life, what, what I do to um, live with a sense of certainty and conviction. Whether it applies to you, I hope it does. If it doesn't, blow it off, okay? But first is this, is that I've got to increase my trust. And so what that means is I've got to put myself in situation where my trust actually grows. When I actually take steps towards following Jesus that require trust, okay? Look at the result of trust up on the screen or in your notes in Romans 15, Apostle Paul writes, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace. Okay? Now, why? Because you trust in Him. Okay, what's the result of that trust? Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. See, there's so much writing on trust that I might have, that you might have this confident hope. That's what Luke is writing to Theophilus about. 
that you would have this confident hope to ride out this adventure with, with Jesus. So again, let me go personal about how I try to increase that, that, that trust. For me, and I know this is going to sound really Christian-y and religious-y, and that's what a pastor would say, is I, I, have, what I, I have to read and study Jesus. Now, I've been to Bible college. I've been to three years of graduate school where I studied this in you know, Hebrew and in Greek. But the last three years, I'll be honest with you, I've just lived in about this much. I've just lived in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Because I've been thinking that if I'm going to really follow Jesus, I've got to know Jesus. I've got to know his character. I've got to know his teachings. If I'm going to follow in the person, the teachings of Jesus, I have to know. I'm not saying this isn't important. Don't write me letters saying, oh, you said the Old Testament wasn't important. No, I didn't. Okay? I just wrote a book on Jesus in the Old Testament. I know how important this is. But I know for some of you, you got lost here, and so you never went here. You got lost and confused in the Old Testament. I'll be honest, there is some weird stuff there, okay? Some of us in here, we've read Genesis more times than any book in the Bible, because I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read my Bible. So you start, you open up in Genesis, and Genesis is actually pretty cool, and you're laughing because it's true, okay? That's what you've done. Genesis, creation, you know, Noah, Abraham, there's some good stuff. Even Exodus, I mean, if you get Exodus is good, there's some awesome stuff, right? What's next? Leviticus. No one makes it through Leviticus, all right? Let's just be honest. I may be the only pastor in the world that'll tell you that. Nobody makes it through Leviticus alive, okay? You just, it is just rough because by the fourth animal sacrifice on the fifth mountain with the eighth high priest, you're like, I'm a vegetarian, you know, and you just kind of put it away. And some of you are not getting to Jesus because you're lost back here. So I've just been living in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. And I've just been studying Jesus. And, and here, here's why. Because the more of Jesus I consume, the deeper my conviction becomes. And the deeper my conviction becomes, the easier it is to trust him. So, I mean, if you just want to start somewhere, just start in Luke. Read Luke with us through this, this series. And you don't have to read fast. Read slow. Ask questions. Write it down. Journal. Paraphrase. Read. I mean, just dig. Read for depth instead of for breadth. Okay? But just start with, with Luke. So for me, I immerse myself with, with Jesus. You know what else I do? I watch and listen to God's people. I watch and listen to God's people, and that increases my trust. Jeff and I, we talk every week about you. And Jeff is so excited about this church and this community and you. And he, t he relays stories to me. I mean, there will be times we'll be having lunch or something like that. He's telling me a story. I get like tears in my eyes. We high five. I mean, because he's telling me stories of your faith that he heard and rooted or in the courtyard or something like that. And when I see other people who risk taken off the training wheels, and they start moving in the direction of Jesus with their life, and they make big risks, there's big pain in their life, and they continue to follow Jesus. God's people help me to trust more. So I, I immerse myself in Jesus. I watch and listen to, to his people. 
I see that they're riding on their own. They're jumping in the pool. They're, they're living out their faith. That encourages me. I also, as I increase my trust, I put in your notes there, I also then, I choose obedience. I don't know any other way to say it. This is kind of a theme of Doug Fields' teaching. If you've been around the last year and you've heard me speak, you know that I, I always come here because that's what it is. You know, you and I, we've got hundreds of decisions every day. Hundreds of decisions every day. And we've got to decide, am I going to choose Jesus in this and how I respond? Am I going to choose his teaching, his values, his standards, his way? Or am I going to choose my way and my values and my world view? John 7 says, anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Circle the word chooses, because that's the key word there. We choose, and then watch what happens. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will what? Read it with me. We'll find out. See, everybody wants to know that, what am I jumping into? I want to I I see that it's solid first. I want to see that I'm going to be caught. I want to see that I won't fall. And Jesus says, choose my way, and then you find out. Okay? That's what trust is. That's what, that's what faith is. And here's what I've learned. The more you choose Jesus, the easier trusting becomes. I would also say this to those of you who are parents. The sooner you choose Jesus, the easier trusting becomes. See, I started choosing Jesus when I was a teenager because somebody invited me to church. I got involved in this youth group. A youth pastor and some caring adults taught me the way of Jesus. That's why your parents get your kids involved. Okay? Get your kids involved in this youth group. It's going to be a world-class youth group someday. We're two weeks away from our new high school pastor coming. We've got an amazing junior high pastor. The kids that grow up in this community, they're not going to be religious pretenders okay they're just not going to be religious pretenders they're not going to be taught to fall in love with religion they're going to be challenged to follow jesus with their life and their choices and when you start young making choices to follow jesus it just becomes easier now i'll be honest with you for over 30 years i've been trying to increase my my faith and my trust and stepping into the ways of jesus and it's still scary. Okay? It's just still scary. If I'm honest, there are times when I don't want to. There are times when I don't choose the ways of Jesus. And I choose to put on the training wheels and rely on my own worldview and my own values and my own standards. And friends, why I want you to get this so bad is just I continue to meet people. They're just not living the preferred life that Jesus has for them. They're just not. They want it, but they're not living the preferred life that Jesus has for them because they're choosing training wheels over adventure. They're choosing theory over obedience. There's this illusion of walking with Jesus, but they're really not. They're only pretending. So I've got to increase my trust. I choose obedience. And then ultimately is I hold on. I choose obedience and I hold on. Take a look what Jesus says in John 8. To the Jews who had 
believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings, you're really my disciples. You want to know what, somebody, what makes somebody a disciple? There it is. You hold on to my teachings. But watch the then. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. There's a little bit of an odd mixture of terms here. Hold on to be set free. Hold on to the ways of Jesus and be freed from the grip of sin in your own life. Some of us in here, we, we're trapped. You, just, you feel trapped by the consequences of your own decisions. And what I want you to hear today is, is Jesus wants you to be set free. When Jesus hung on the cross and died for our sins, which we're going to celebrate in just a minute with communion, when Jesus died for us, here's what happened. He kicked open that door that you and I were entrapped in this, this, this entrapment, this, this prison of sin. He kicks open the door and he says, come on, get out. You're free. Live it up. I've got a preferred life for you. It's an adventure. Follow me. And here's the image that I have. That door has been broken open. You and I are free. And a lot of us are going, okay, I'm just going to stay right here. Okay, I, I, I kind of like my way. And I kind of like my, my desires and my sinful nature. I'm just going to stay right here. Okay? And he's kicked his door open and said, come on. There is an adventure waiting. Ride, ride, ride. See, it comes down to trusting the person and teachings of Jesus. Luke says, Theophilus, there's a certainty. This is a bedrock truth that you can base your life on. So start pedaling. Even though it's going to be scary and wobbly, you may be unsure of yourself at first, but that's where the adventure is. And there's something that happens in the life of a follower of Jesus when they step out to this adventure. As a matter of fact, I, I saw a video clip and I thought, this is a perfect, it goes perfectly with our metaphor. Listen to the excitement when one takes that first step of riding on his own. Watch this. I feel, I feel. You feel alive? I am so grateful that Jeff's mom gave me that clip of him when he was little. So. By the way, that's perfect. I mean, when you take that first step and you put your trust and faith in the certainty of who Jesus is, thumbs up, everybody. Rock and roll, okay? The door has been kicked open. Let the adventure begin. Some of you today, 
you're wasting your spiritual life on a tricycle and with training wheels. God calls you to ride with freedom. So what that means is tomorrow when you wake up, what would it look like today to actually trust Jesus and to walk in his direction? There's an adventure waiting for you. Let's go. Maybe for some of you, as we move into a time of singing in the Lord's Supper, I, I just want to invite you to respond. And however you want to respond, maybe you need to be prayed for. Maybe for some of you, you need to recommit your faith and your trust. That this tricycle and the training wheels describe who you are. And that you don't want to, you don't want to live that way anymore. So as you celebrate communion, pause your heart. And say, thank you, Jesus, for loving me enough that your body broke on the cross. And take that little cracker. That your blood was shed to kick open that gate that had me trapped. You sip that grape juice as a reminder of what Jesus did for us. Right? There's an adventure waiting for us. Let's pray together. Jesus, may we be different because of what you have done for us and what you promise us with your love, with your grace, with your forgiveness. Jesus, I, you know your people way better than I do, but I know there's people here trapped. They're trapped and they're pretending, they're, they're playing it safe, and yet there's this longing in their soul that wants to ride with you and to follow you. And I pray they may be freed today. May we not be the same people as we walk out of here. Thank you that you loved us so much, that you paid for our sins on the cross, that your body was broken, that your blood was shed. For the adventure to begin. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.